Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Dr. Tim Ridgway, the new dean of the USD Sanford School of Medicine. Dr. Ridgway, how are you doing this afternoon? Mike, I'm doing great. It's sunny outside, and uh, weather's looking good. The trees are nice, and yeah, I'm doing real well. Thank you for asking. Um, well, that's awesome. No, it, it's uh, we're recording this on uh, Dakota Days week, and so sometimes the weather's always a little um, tricky with Dakota Days, but we're kind of blessed with a, a good week of weather this week. Um, you know, you've been at USD for a while, but can you just, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at USD? Well, a little bit about myself, and I'll be brief on that one, Mike, but I am a, a native South Dakotan. I grew up in an extremely small town in southeastern South Dakota called Ravinia, South Dakota, on a farm. And uh, uh, I guess you would call me the one who's kind of filled the, the mission of the Sanford School of Medicine uh, in that I uh, uh, didn't think when I was at a young age that really would I have any opportunity to become a physician, let alone the dean of this medical school. But uh, I was very, very fortunate and uh, went to Augustana College an undergraduate and then was accepted to the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine, finalized my career in internal medicine and gastroenterology at the Mayo Clinic, and then I became an active faculty member here at USD since 1997. In 2006, I, I took a real administrative role in the school, still practiced medicine, and Michael, I guess I could the best describe it as education found me as much as I found education. It was just something that I absolutely gravitated to. I wanted to instruct students and residents uh, the way that I was taught. And the people that went out of their way to do that for me, I never forgot. I wanted to be that person for others. And uh, so... Then, all of a sudden, our former dean, Dr. Mary Nettleman, told me one day she retired. She was going to retire, and I knew at that point I had a decision to make. Was I going to continue doing what I'm doing? And I love doing it, practicing gastroenterology at the VA Medical Center here in Sioux Falls and continuing my role as executive dean and faculty affairs dean. But, you know, I I felt I had unfinished business. And uh, as a result of that, I went through the application process and was selected as the next dean. So what do I do? Well, there, there's really two roles. The dean of the Sanford School of Medicine means that I oversee all the functions of the medical school. I set the vision for the curriculum for research, uh, basically administering all aspects with our faculty, our students, and our staff. But the part, Mike, that might not be known to a lot of people is I'm also the vice president of health affairs. Now, what that means is I oversee the health sciences school, which includes nursing, occupational therapy, physical therapy, addiction studies, the PA program. And so there's this whole other aspect of health education that occurs at USD, and uh, we have an extraordinarily talented dean of that school. But as vice president, I kind of oversee the functions of that school of health sciences as well as the School of Medicine. Well, we definitely want to talk to you about um, your multiple roles, I guess, uh, at USD and what you've been up to the past few months. But, you know, just initially, I mean, what what attracted you to a career in medicine? 
when I was young, I, I, I had this interest in science. I was just fascinated. I loved science. And then at a young age, you know, I would, I saw my grandfather. Um, he became quite ill, uh, and I was relatively young at the time. And he would go into the hospital, and I was just amazed at the physicians, the, the, the general docs that took care of him, that took care of my family. Uh, it just had a profound impact. And I thought to myself, wow, look at, look at the role these people have played in my grandfather's life, in my parents' life, and in mine. And I thought, wouldn't it be fascinating to be able to do something like that? Well, as being on the farm, uh, a lot of times we would have a lot of livestock that would become sick, and the veterinarian would come out. My brother wanted nothing to do with it. I was first in line, ready to go. Three in the morning when, when there would be a problem, my dad would get me out of bed, the vet would come, and I was just fascinated by all aspects of it. And things just kind of took off from there. It grew and it grew. And so I would say I knew at a relatively young age uh, that I was interested in medicine. And it was when I was in my latter years of high school that I just decided it fit. I loved people. I loved what the physicians did for my family. I loved science. So I thought it was just a natural fit. Because, you know, Mike, we have to all find something if we're lucky enough to do something in our lives that is not just work, it's a calling. And for me, that's what medicine was, and it has not disappointed at all. Um, Dr. Ridgway, I love that story um, about you growing up on the farm and, and being kind of exposed to maybe you know veterinarian um, treatments and that kind of sparking an interest in science, sparking an interest in, in healthcare. Yeah, do you ever find similarities with students here at the medical school, like that they kind of have that agricultural background and that eventually is what led them um, maybe to the Sanford School of Medicine? I- I'm just curious if you've, if you've ever seen any parallels like that. I, uh, Mike, I see a lot of parallels. Um, and and when, I, when I see those kids, um, I just smile. And, and frankly, I, I tell them my story. And if, if that, my story can be an inspiration to others, uh, to follow that path. I think that's fabulous. But it's not only just the, the real kid, but it might be somebody from an underprivileged area where economically they were disadvantaged. And they, and they thought to themselves, do I ever have a chance to get into this medical school and do these things? And my response to them is absolutely. You follow your dream. You follow your passion. And, and so with me, I thought I was, I graduated from a high school of 37 people, Mike. When I drove to Sioux Falls for college, I thought I was hitting the big city, the metropolis. It was just daunting to me. So when I see kids, whether it be population, whether it be location of where they live, whatever it is, and they feel like, do I really have a chance? I'm right there to say, you have a great chance. You follow your passion. And things can happen. And, and that, frankly, is what gets me up in the morning. It's fun to see, and it's fun to see these kids grow. Uh, and, and if I can do anything along the way to help them on that path, that, that's a wonderful thing. Now, you mentioned that um, you know, prior to becoming dean of the Sanford School of Medicine, you, um, you know, were an assistant dean, um, but, but you also you know, have a variety of roles, even outside the context at USD. But just with your familiar, familiarity with um, the USD Sanford School of Medicine the past you know, really decade, what have you noticed that has changed? 
you know, like it's um, it, the the medical school has changed substantially, and it has done so because healthcare has changed dramatically. When when you look at healthcare in 1980, 1990, 2000, and even 2010. What is being looked for in 2021, I think, is entirely different. And by that, I mean, you know, let's face it. I think healthcare, in some ways, has been taking a hit in the last five to ten years. Some of it deservedly so. Um, you see these big, huge enterprises. Um, the, the knock is that physicians are in a hurry. Um, maybe it's an assembly line. We have this tremendous technology, which is great, but, but, but patients want to be heard. They, they want to feel like somebody's listening to them and is showing empathy. And so the medical school, uh, has, has seen this. Ten years ago, we had a curriculum, which was a standard curriculum amongst, uh, most medical schools in the country where you would rotate in the different disciplines, uh, internal medicine, pediatrics, surgery, and so forth, and you would work in eight to ten-week blocks and then move to the next one. And a lot of your training was in the hospital. Well, 80 to 90% of medicine is now practiced in the outpatient setting. And so educators said, we've got to find a better way that we can deliver the proper education to our students. And so USD was one of the first, actually, where we had in Yankton, South Dakota, a completely different curriculum that was started in 1991 called a Longitudinal Integrated Curriculum. And basically what that was is students would, over a two-week span, rotate through all the disciplines, mainly in an outpatient setting. And they were required to to self-direct their learning to some degree. They would have free time where they could pursue other interests. And then they would use their fourth-year medical school to pursue the various interests that they had. And as a result of this, we have seen a a real increase in students that want to do primary care, preventative medicine, things that we feel are vital in today's society. In addition to that, speaking to the, the need for compassion, for communication, much more of that is now being emphasized in school. In the past, it was all about diagnosis and treatment, necessarily so. But patients, they just assume, right? You assume as a patient, you go into the doctor's office, they know what they're doing. They're an MD. They have expertise. They're looking for the other things. How is that physician listening to me? How are they approaching me? Are they really seeing me as a person and not a disease state? And so medical education is trying to catch up with that. And we're trying to emphasize to these kids, yes, you need to know diagnosis and treatment, but you also have to realize the humanistic parts of medicine and realize that you're seeing patients in a vulnerable state. This is making an impact. So if you look at our curriculum today versus what it was 10 years ago, dramatically different, and I would go so far to say is that five to 10 years from now, I think you're going to see even more changes. Um, that's really interesting. I mean, especially this idea, I think of, oh, you know, making sure that students understand the importance of being compassionate and seeing, you know, the human element of, of these patients, right? At the same time, um, you know, I, I think about actually another podcast that we did with Dr. Um, Susan Anderson, I think about telehealth and just the growth that that has seen in the last five to 10 years 
I mean, how do you juxtapose, I guess, this desire to ensure that, you know, new doctors are, um, you know, connecting with patients, but then how do you balance that with the growth in technology um, where, you know, a lot of times maybe people will start getting healthcare advice or, um, you know, will start doing appointments like online. I mean, how do you square those two things away? I think, Mike, I, I think we have to look at the strengths of each and utilize those strengths to our advantages. For example, one of the big issues in South Dakota is access to care, right? When you're out, particularly West River, South Dakota, it could be many, many miles to the nearest healthcare facility, and people to get to these facilities sometimes will not be easy. With telehealth, uh, we are able to reach these individuals for access. So the access problem with technology can really be helped in many ways. Now, on the other end of that, okay, so you've got telehealth, you're connecting with these individuals electronically, but then you've still got to be able to connect with that patient. And it's interesting because we're working with students now on virtual interviews that they're doing for residents because of the COVID situation. Right. And one of the things we're trying to teach them is how can you connect with that interviewer? Just like how do you connect with patients? It's about eye contact. It's about voice inflection. It's, a, you know, patients can tell even virtually if there is a, a caring, compassionate position on the other end. And so our role as educators is to simulate those things, teach them those things, so that they can come across in the same way it's in person. Can it match it? Maybe not. But I believe if you wed the technology to allow better access of rural South Dakotans to expert health care, and then you work on the provider end to ensure that you're enabling the personalities to come through as best as possible, it could be a win-win situation. Is it going to be absolutely perfect? Maybe not. But I do believe uh, you, can, you can really optimize both of the things we've talked about for better care of the patient. You've officially started your position as dean, um, I think September 1st, but you know, obviously with your experience at the medical school and then the transition over the course of the summer, you've been at this a few months. I mean, this summer, obviously, incredibly unprecedented, um, especially, I imagine, just how COVID has been shaping uh, healthcare and, and, you know, education and, you know, just so much of um, some of the things I think we took for granted pre-COVID. What have you learned uh, since becoming dean? One, you, you always think, Mike, everybody said, well, you've been an executive dean at the same school. You know the people. So the transition really shouldn't be that big a deal. Uh, but actually, I've, I've learned a lot in one month, and I am continuing to learn. The big thing, um, and you can read about this, but until you experience it, I'm not sure you have the full impact. Leadership, leading the School of Medicine, um, really it boils down to people. It's about your relationships and connections with people. Every day, there are things coming at me from every direction, from individuals that are involved with our school, uh, that have input, that have issues of concern, and uh, you really have to take your time with each 
individual and listen and, and reach out, reaching out to people, communicating. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. You always think that, that these roles and to get at this position, it, it's about the technical skills, right? About, well, what managerial skills do you have, your financial acumen, those kind of things. But quite honestly, yes, those are important and necessary, and I think we've learned this in the business world, and it pertains to medicine and everything else. It still comes down to can you relate to people? Do you have the interpersonal skills? You find out very quickly that the role is not about me. It's about enhancing others and allowing them to shine, and you depend so much on the team you have around you. And that was the thing that, that my former dean used to say, Tim, thank you. It's so great having you here. And, and you thought, oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, you're the one doing the heavy lifting. In honest, all honesty, Mike, it is about the people you have around you. You have to learn to depend on them, rely on them, trust them. And uh, if, when you've got good people around, you appreciate them so much because they are what makes the school successful and they are the people that are going to make me successful. And, uh, you know, you can talk about it, but until you literally live it, uh, and I'm sure there, I've got much more to learn, but I think that's the biggest take-home I've had this past month. You know, what has, I guess, what do you hope to accomplish as dean um, of the Sanford School of Medicine? I mean, I mean, do you have any major priorities um, that you want to see occur? I think that one of the major priorities for me, number one, you don't fix what isn't broken, right? I mean, I, I don't come in here. Our, Dr. Nettleman left the school in a very, very good place. She was outstanding. And so you don't want to come in as a new dean and say, well, we're doing it this way and we're doing this and that. No, no, we want to continue what's successful. But I have two major objectives. One is, as I told you, Mike, what patients are expecting from healthcare providers in 2021 is entirely different. And I want to continue uh, advancing our initiatives to really develop the holistic provider, the uh, person who is intelligent, who is an excellent diagnostician, but who is also a compassionate, empathetic communicator that makes these patients feel special. Um, we uh, I want to advance our curriculum to continue those goals and be successful. My second goal is that, you know, as I told you at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I'm Vice President for Health Affairs. Frankly, we have a unique situation at USD. Um, we've got all these health sciences schools. We've got the School of Medicine. I really believe that the School of Health Sciences and the School of Medicine should be the voice of healthcare in South Dakota. We have the academic abilities to do that and to advance healthcare and be the solid voice for healthcare in South Dakota, I think is very manageable. And frankly, I think it should be done. And of course, the ultimate goal, which is the mission of both the School of Health Sciences and the School of Medicine, is to get providers to come back to our state and serve, particularly in underserved areas, but throughout South Dakota. Mike, I need people that are going to take care of me, uh, and I take that very seriously. So I want to really meld the School of Health Sciences and the School of Medicine more. There's something called interprofessional education, where nursing students learn alongside medical students, learn alongside physical therapy, occupational therapy, learn how to work as teams. In rural South Dakota, to have an 
one physician responsible for that entire area, you're not going to get docs to do that. But when you've got teams of highly qualified nurses, physical assistant students, uh, all those things, uh, much more likely to do that. So I have a unique position that I'm, I'm looking at this from a 10,000-foot view and say, look at the things we can do to put these schools together and really produce the physician, the caregivers, the nurses that know how to interact and enhance each other's abilities. And that, I think, can ensure a healthier South Dakota. Now, does this sound like an incredibly lofty uh, goal? Maybe, but I do believe it's realistic, and it's something that I'm really going to aim for. Dr. Ridgway, what is the role of a medical school during a global pandemic? Well, Mike, I think everybody is still learning that uh, the answer to that question, because as you know, we're still in one. Um, we've learned a lot from it. I feel that, number one, a medical school, uh, we have the objective science, the academics. So I think one role is to be informative to the public and demonstrate calmness. Um, state the facts, um, show concern, and voice opinions on what needs to be done so that we can ensure the public as a whole can stay as safe as possible, and to stay out of the political arena. I think medical schools are in a unique position to do that. I think that the other role that a medical school can play, and one that ours played, is that all three of our large health systems in South Dakota, Monument Health, Avera, and Sanford, all when, when COVID patients were increasing in numbers and flooding our hospital systems, they reached out to the medical school and said, can your students help us? Because at the time, in mid-March, our students were pulled out of all clinical rotations. The American Association of Medical Colleges issued a statement in mid-March and said, um, we need to get all of our students out of the hospitals until we know what's going to happen. So we had students literally studying from home, trying to keep up as much as they can. The hospital system said, hey, you think they could come and help us? And it was volunteer, and we had, the students were amazing. They stepped up in droves. And, uh, Mike, I tell you, it was so successful. On all, in all three systems, the students were in there really helping the physicians they were, they were learning a tremendous amount, but they were also giving a large amount. Um, they were doing volunteer drives for personal protective equipment. They were doing public awareness situations and informative. So the medical school, I think, did a lot in this and is doing a lot in this pandemic to help out on the volunteer end, as I talked about, um, but also being that, that voice of communication and reason, which I think is is so necessary in pandemics such as this. You know, that's an amazing story. I mean, I, you know, I see in the news, um, you know, I guess stories of, you know, frontline workers, um, you know, who get sick themselves um, as a result of COVID. And, you know, obviously I also think of just like the trauma um, that one experiences working in a COVID unit, right? Um, we've, brought on uh, various professionals, a lot of them alumni of the Sanford School of Medicine who have talked about their own sort of personal experiences as they've worked in these settings. 
do you you know have has the faculty i guess at um the Sanford School of Medicine i mean have they discussed how they can approach that aspect of it i mean are there any special um you know classes or activities that you all have done to prepare students to walk into the type of setting um that they might have to walk into now one of the things we have learned during this pandemic is that it has hit healthcare providers hard there has been a substantial rise in depression, mental health issues, uh, and even suicide rates. And uh, so we have been very, very proactive in educating our students, making them aware of these things. And our faculty as well have been realizing this. And the key there is you can, I think, Mike, you can educate all you want, but it comes down to we need to support each other. Um, we need to know, have, have abilities to, to debrief when you've had a serious illness in the hospital, when perhaps you lost a patient in the hospital. That affects people in, in profound ways. And it's been demonstrated over and over that the best way to deal with that is to talk about it. You don't just hide it, go to the next patient, and then go home because you carry it with you in one form or another. So our students, our faculty, they're encouraged to sit down, talk about this. How is this affecting you? Open up. And it sounds trivial, and it's not. It is really one of the most effective ways that we as physicians and healthcare providers in general have a way of supporting each other and getting through these times. The key is uh, many of us, the thought has always been, I can't let them know that I'm feeling something. I'm supposed to be better than that. No, no, we encourage vulnerability. Express it. Express what your concerns are. That way you're going to be best prepared to deal with it. And I really think as a result of this, I'm hopeful that our students will have these skills as they move on in life and face other types of resiliency. So in a way, COVID is making us even more proactive in teaching these students, take care of yourselves. You know, for years, it was always work 80 to 100-hour work weeks and sacrifice everything for the care of patients. Well, if you as a provider aren't healthy and taking care of yourself, how effective are you going to be in caring for others? And so there's a big push in medical education to, to self-care is going to be so, so important in the future. And our faculty, I think, are seeing that now and realizing it. And so we're taking the necessary steps, hopefully, to bring this to light and make us much more resilient uh, for the future. Um, Dr. Ridgway, I've got a couple more questions. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but one last, I guess, COVID question before we move on. I mean, yeah. just the magnitude, I think, of this healthcare challenge is staggering. I mean, I, I think back to some of the podcasts we did at the very beginning of this, and um, a lot of the data, honestly, the people were floating around about infection rates and death rates. I mean, a lot of it has come to fruition. I mean, some of those initial numbers, 250,000, I think we've surpassed uh, 200,000 deaths in the United States alone. I'm just curious, just with your wealth of experience and, and knowledge of the medical field, do you have any just final thoughts on this experience that we've all gone through? I, I think that we can go one of two directions when we when we have dealt with what something like the pandemic that we're dealing with now. We can just claw our way to the end, 
get through it and say, well, glad that's over with. Let's move on and get back to our normal lives. Or you learn from it. And by learning from it, I think it makes us all more effective in our day-to-day lives and in how we treat and deal with others. So my approach is to, yes, this is tough. We're still not out of it. But we don't just forget all of this and move on to our lives. And I'm not sure everything's going to be totally, quotes back to the normal we knew, unquote. But on the other hand, what have we learned from this? What can we learn in moving forward in caring for patients in our curriculum in the medical school? And, Mike, one of the things we've learned is we can leverage technology to some advantage that we didn't know before. And we can we, we can capitalize on that and make us more effective moving forward. Uh, it can also help us to be proactive if we ever see something like this coming down the line again and how we can deal with it. So this has had a profound change, I think, in medical care and in medical education. I was, I was reading in one of our journals just the other day that what this has done is it has celebrated the general practitioner once again. Um, in the hospitals, the people that are caring for these people, they have multiple organ system involvement. And so instead of the infectious disease specialist doing all these, seeing all these patients, it's the general internal medicine, the family docs, the people that are aware of the big picture, and they're very, very capable of dealing with these types of things. And, uh, and it's shown our students the value of overall medical knowledge that isn't sub-sub-specialized but covers all organs in general and people in general. And that's, that's going to be something that I think we're going to see a shift perhaps in the areas that students decide to go into down the road. You had mentioned earlier um, about the idea that part of what you hope is that the Sanford School of Medicine, uh, excuse me, the Sanford School of Medicine can really advance healthcare in South Dakota. You know, I think about the world-class systems that we have in Rapid City and Sioux Falls. You mentioned Avera, Sanford, um, Monument Health. I also think about the disparity that you see in more rural communities, um, particularly like tribal reservations um, and communities like that. I mean, what is the USD Sanford School of Medicine doing to improve um, healthcare outcomes maybe in those communities? What can we do more of? We are doing a lot right now. And, and, uh, and we're going to continue to do more. Number one, we also have something called a farm program, Frontier and Rural Medicine. And that is where students, when they do their third year of clinical training, instead of doing it in one of the big systems, Avera Monument or uh, Sanford, they go to small communities throughout the state of South Dakota. And for nine months, they are there and they follow these doctors and get experiences in the entire spectrum, psychiatry, surgery, internal medicine, obstetrics, etc. And importantly, these individuals see what life in a more rural community is like and how you can not only succeed but excel as a healthcare giver in those type of institutions. And like it's amazing, these communities have just opened their arms to these students, and the student experiences have been extraordinary. 
we're, it's early. We just had our first group graduate from residency recently. Most went into primary care, but we're really following this with the hope that they will come back to rural South Dakota and provide health care to these areas of the state. And in regard to the reservation, we are really doing a lot in, in those areas. We are working with IHS, and we're trying to establish um, better relationships uh, so that these students can rotate in some of these areas. And frankly, Mike, I believe in this generation of students. They want to serve. They want to give. And the hope is we get these students doing rotations in these areas, and, you know, they just might want to come back and do a practice there. And what a wonderful thing that would be. Um, again, that's the mission of the School of Medicine, and we are continuing to push the boundaries to try to get that to happen. Dr. Ridgway, I've just got two more questions for you. Um, you know, medical school is competitive. Nursing school is competitive. Um, you got to have the grades. you got to have, uh, you know, the extracurricular activities. What is an ideal applicant um, for the School of Health Sciences of the Sanford School of Medicine? Mike, things are evolving in that light. You know, I, you would hear in the past, well, you know, I'm not smart enough to go to medical school. I'm not smart enough to go to nursing school. Um, the ideal applicant does not have to be a genius at all. The ideal applicant has to have above-average intelligence. But beyond that, the applicant has to to have a holistic background, the strong interpersonal skills, ability to communicate and listen and interact with people around them, people that truly care about what they're doing. And so medical schools in the past, a lot of it, their application was based on their MCAT, their admission. It's a medical college admissions test. And there was so much weight put on that exam. And so those high scores, many times people would get into medical school. Some of them would do great, but some of them maybe didn't have those interpersonal skills, the background uh, that, that would make them very good, well-rounded physicians. And so medical schools and ours also are very much emphasizing now what we call a holistic approach to the applicant. And that is, yes, we do know that you have to have to have a minimal MCAT score and grade point average. We know that below that bar, which is fairly low, the success rate of you getting through medical school is not going to be that great. But it's a low bar. So anybody above that, okay, we know now you, you are intelligent enough to be able to do this, to pass your board examinations, and be a solid practitioner. Then... Let's look at all the other intangibles we just talked about. So now, many people, when they're interviewing these students, are blinded. They don't know what their MCAT scores were or what their uh, grade point average was. So they are interviewing these students and really looking for those other traits I just talked about. Are they good communicators? Are they good listeners? Can they articulate what they're, they're trying to get across well? And so by doing that, ideally you get those students that not only have the intelligence to succeed, but they have all the other skills that would predict they're going to be very successful in a healthcare field. Dr. Ridgway, I just have one more question. It's a little bit more philosophical in nature, so you can take it any direction that you want. Um, okay. But at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? 
There is very little, Mike, that I know for sure. Um, things evolve. Things change all the time. What I know for sure is that as the dean of this school of medicine, I feel like I'm entrusted with a large responsibility. It's not mine alone. It's, it's relying on my team and the people around me. Um, but I know why I'm doing this, and that is I want every student that comes here, whether it be health sciences or the School of Medicine, I want them to succeed. I want to do everything in my power to enable that, to enhance that happening. Things will evolve. Things will change. So am I assured? I, do I know for sure that our curriculum right now is the best? No. It's going to change in a six months to a year. It's going to continually evolve. But what I do know for sure is that I am committed to ensuring this school that follows its mission. And that is, overall, the big picture, to provide quality health care providers for the state of South Dakota. Dr. Ridgway, thank you so much for talking with us this afternoon, but also thank you for the work that you're doing right now. We know that um, it's not easy on, on everyone, but especially those in the healthcare field, so we just really appreciate the work that you're doing. Mike, I appreciate the uh, time you spent today, and uh, hopefully uh, your listeners gained a few things. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Dr. Ridgway.